what is a way to move forward that honors both your emotions and the rationality of the situation. And they all have their like strengths and weaknesses. But that has helped me like personally, my personal development more, more than anything, like going through school and learning all these clinical tools too. I'm like, I wish this is stuff that we all learned in school. I mean, we would all be saved a lot of heartache if we learned just like practical mental health tools for day to day, um, just coping with life and hard things. But I think using your wise mind and kind of like dropping into what would like a wise mentor of mine or like my higher self, like whatever people want to call it, whatever resonates with you the most. Like, what would they tell me in this situation right now? Like, what is in my best and highest good and in the best and highest good for other people in this situation? And I think it's just a good way to honor both sides while still like accepting and feeling your emotion and then also understanding that like our emotions aren't always rational. This week is a great conversation with Brielle Poulter. Brielle has been one of my best friends and one of my longest lasting friendships I've ever had. In this conversation, we talk about her journey into becoming a therapist and some amazing tools to use and lessons she has learned in becoming a therapist and working with people. There are so many amazing pieces of this conversation and there was a lot I took away from this and I hope y'all can too. Brielle's an incredible human being and I'm super stoked we were able to sit down and have this conversation together and I hope y'all enjoyed the episode. How the hell are you? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so crazy. It's... Lorenian, year and a half. I know. About, right? Yes. Last time we were just talking about this, last time I saw you was my graduation party from grad school. Wild. What a time. So Day I guess. One supporter right here. <laughs> freshman year in high school, we became friends? Eighth grade, actually. Eighth grade. Before. That is crazy. Hmm. It's how what old are you in eighth grade? I don't remember. 12? <laughs> Yeah, that would take me a while. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. 14 years we've known each other. Wow. That's crazy. Word to think about. And now we're here in Salt Lake. We are. Away from us. the good old IF. <laughs> yeah. Good old IF. So what's uh, what's new in life? What's the current <laughs> you know? situation? So like in life life or like work life or both? Both. Both. So planning a wedding, that's crazy thing that's wild engaged. yeah almost been engaged a year so well engagement engagement anniversary is coming up in january which is crazy engagement um, engagement anniversary, anniversary. Okay. you don't hear about those often because <laughs> it's the one year mark of being engaged we even right. have an anniversary for our engagement um but yeah that's coming up crazy big move when's it's that, been a crazy when's year when's that gonna be january 14th was our engagement anniversary. Oh, I thought you meant the wedding was Oh no, January our 14th. wedding is like, in July. Wedding is in July. 2020. Yeah. 2023. Yeah, July 8th. Save the date. Save the date. Obviously you're invited, so <laughs> save the date. We're just it's not open about, invite, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't DM me for <laughs> your address or whatever people say. Uh, so where's that, where that happening? In Idaho Falls, in my mom's house, where we got engaged. It's crazy. My mom lives in Idaho Falls just for the people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think I said my name. I'm Brielle. Hi. <laughs> oh, yeah, we well, can take care of all that. But. Yeah, we'll do that introductions <laughs> later. But um, 
Yeah, it really has been a crazy year, just a lot happening. Like we mm. got engaged, moved from Arizona back to Utah for Did you already sad about my that job. or do you miss uh <sighs> Yeah, I think it's I mean, I love both. Like the goal is to eventually be able to live kind of half and half because I love the seasons. I mean, there's something about the seasons and like winter mm-hmm. that just makes me happy. I yeah. love the winter. It's weird. I get like. It's nicer down here than it is back in uh, Idaho. Yeah. Oh, have definitely. You got, you, have you been back recently? Yeah. I got shocked last week. Yeah. I haven't been back. I haven't been back in the winter very much. Last Christmas, I guess. Okay. It's just, yeah, it's frigid. It's really I cold. I forgot how cold it was. And windy. That's the biggest thing. It's super windy. It's crazy. Um, but so, yeah. Yeah, moved back up. Yeah, I miss Arizona a lot. I love Arizona. There's something like really special about Arizona. Just kind of the energy in Arizona mm-hmm. is really special. But there's also a lot of really great things about Utah. It's kind of, I think it's cool to be part of there's kind of this like collective awakening, I would say, happening in Utah, kind of, because it is such a religious culture. There's also kind of a lot of people leaving religion in droves. And I think if you've ever been in yeah, that religion. It's, yeah, it's uh, a unique thing to see. Everyone I mm-hmm. meet, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, Salt Lake and Idaho, pr- predominantly LDS, mm-hmm. and yeah. everyone I meet. It's a very weird little social thing. It is. Yeah. And beyond social, I think it like, well, I'm a therapist. We'll get to that. But Uh it is cool being a therapist here. I will say that because there's a lot of people kind of going through religious transitions Mm -hmm. that I've worked with. And that's something that I really love working with is that religious transition because there's phases to it right and there's a lot of heartbreak involved but there's also a lot of like coming back home to yourself i would say and kind of figuring out who you really are yeah there's probably a lot of layers across the board especially when you see certain families and how it's handled across definitely yeah oh yeah family and i do i mean primarily family therapy right now Mm -hmm. so it's crazy to see, but that's why I really do love being a therapist in Utah. Like I, I miss Arizona a lot, of course, but I really like doing therapy here mm-hmm. because it is, it's just a unique thing to be a part of. It's kind of a, a collective shifting and not that there's anything, you know, wrong with being an organized religion mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful for a lot of people, but I just think it's, it's cool to see people at least choosing for themselves, whether that be to kind of choose their path in religion or uh-huh. choose their path outside of religion. I think to be their own person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like it for that okay. reason, but well, I want to put a, put a pin in like your work. Definitely re- want to re- revisit that yeah. in a bit, but kind of just go through kind of those college, the college days, college days, um, not like <laughs> any crazy stories, but just like going into your, I guess career choice and what made you want to go this way? This route for sure. So I grew up with around a lot of people that I love struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the, at the time, I think you just survive, you just get through it. And so I think when you're a kid, you're not really fully realizing the way things affect you. And then you become an adult and it kind of all hits you like a ton of bricks when you're 
What was that one thing I went through? Like, yeah, why like, was that oh, never talked about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're kind of like, oh, now I'm and basically an adult, or I'm on my own at least. Yeah. Like, you know, technically an adult at 18 in college, mm-hmm. and having to make like relationship decisions and friendship decisions, and like what field you want to go into decisions and that kind of thing. And and I. I'll tell you, I had a rough go in college, very rough go. So I think I was always like my kind of trauma response, I would say, in life is to kind of like my favorite coping skill was denial. Like that was my like drug of choice in terms of coping was denial. Like I, I think that that's how I just got through things was I was like, no, everything's fine. It's good. Kind of like what you would call, I guess, toxic positivity. Okay. It's just I just was like, no, everything's good. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And then in college, like I was just sort of forced to face things that I'd been really trying hard to deny things that I was struggling with. And I, let's say I didn't handle the best because I had gone for so long, like not building those skills. I think I didn't build those skills as a teenager really, Mm -hmm. because I was really focused on things outside of myself. I mean, you knew me in college and in high school, anyone that knew me in high school, like I was very social and very concerned with like bringing people together and wanting to like, it was always, it was always your house. Yeah. Everyone come to hang out. Yeah. I loved like making people happy and knowing that like I was the reason that they were like having fun or that I was like the one gathering people. Like I Mm -hmm. loved having that as part of my identity. Like I was very social never really said no to things, never really said no to people. Didn't really have a lot of strong boundaries. And at the time it worked for me. Like I had so much fun in high school. Like people were sleeping over at my house every single night. Like (laughs) like 10 friends piled on my floor. Like that was just kind of the life back then, how I was living. And, um, yeah. And then in, in college I was, I was struggling with like, how do I keep this social aspect of myself alive and like the bringing people together aspect of myself alive? Cause I love to be like a gatherer, but then also how do I find myself within all of that? Mm-hmm. And I've always been kind of, I've considered myself kind of like a human guinea pig because I, I'm really interested just in psychology and the way that like people heal and the way that the mind works and the way that like relationships work like I really love like research on relationships too and like family dynamics and so I tried everything under the sun pretty much to just kind of find my path like I went to so many I went to like psychics I went to tarot card readers I went to like energy healers I went Mm -hmm. to like every living thing under the sun and I was also leaving religion at that time so Like I was kind of trying to find my own spiritual path as well as like, who am I? Like, what even is my personality? What's my identity? What do I even like? What are my hobbies? Like I was kind of having, it was like a kind of an upheaval of my identity all through college. I would say the whole four years was just like kind of a mess. <laughs> and I can look back on that lovingly now. <laughs> but Hey, that's all that matters. But yeah. I definitely would say the overall theme is I was very much like searching outside of myself for anything okay. that would like tell me who I was or tell me what I wanted to do. And the funny thing is like, I never really thought about doing therapy ever. Like I, I was a communications major at first and then I did like, I was an art major for a while. Like I had a bunch of different random majors Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until my junior year of college that 
I had, I took a sociology class and I had a professor that I loved and he created a major called peace and conflict studies, which was so like, you never really hear about that. Yeah. It's kind of an obscure major a little bit macro scale or a micro scale like a both okay yeah so i mean i took like one of my favorite courses was like a conflict in business class and like learning how to communicate with like other colleagues or learning how to communicate like on a kind of a business in a business scope yeah um but then i also took a lot of like interpersonal conflict classes and so I, it was kind of a mix of both it was honestly i loved my major i would say i attribute it a lot to like who i am mm -hmm. as a person and i think that's unique and kind of special to say because i honestly don't think that you need college like i would tell people after going through the whole thing like i don't think you need to go to college unless you there's something Doctor that unless you feel called to it or you want yeah. to go to college or i really wanted to go to college because i loved school but I don't think it's necessarily, you know, I don't think it's always helpful for people. Some people leave yeah. and they're like, well, I have a piece of paper. But for me, I really do feel like it was like how I kind of became me. Like it really helped shape me. So I feel lucky to say that. And a lot of very tribute to like this one professor. And he actually was, had a big part in the social work program. I never thought about social work. And like, I think a lot of people still don't know that like social workers, are therapists. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think people really make that connection all the time. They think social work, they think of like DCFS, like Division of Child and Family Services, or like okay. the people who like remove kids from homes and things like that. Like, that's always what I thought a social worker was. Mm -hmm. And I learned like my senior year of college that I actually did an internship with the attorney general and thought I was going to go to law school, which I can you see me as a lawyer? It just wouldn't work. But I'd be too emotional. <laughs> I cannot be objective like that. But I thought I could apparently. And I decided so last minute to apply because this professor reached out to me and said that like he thought it would be a good idea. And I just kind of had a gut feeling about it. And so it kind of just like I never was like some people are like, oh, I always wanted to be a therapist. And I'm like, I always knew that I wanted to work with people. And I always knew that I loved connecting with people and I think that's like one of the things that I'm best at is just mm -hmm. kind of meeting people where they're at and so it just kind of seemed like the natural next step was to do therapy so I think I, I never really had my mindset on it until it was kind of already happening which is a, a weird thing like I mm -hmm. worked in HR for a while because that's something that people do with the degree like peace and conflict studies yeah. you can work in HR or like mediation, things like that. But I knew this professor was teaching in the College of Social Work, so I just applied for my master's. And part of me was honestly, to be very straight up, was like, I don't know what else to do. And school kind of prolongs having to make a decision about, you know, career yeah. and what you have to do. Like school is kind of, I think partially I did use school to kind of um, hide from life a yeah. little bit it's security you know you, you do the same you have your semesters and like you have your finals and the midterms even though those things are all so stressful yeah it still is like stressful in a different a way slight security blanket because you know what's coming yeah absolutely yeah, it's super stressful but like you know what's happening each month of the year mm -hmm. and and it's what you've done since you were what five years old yeah. is just the Go structure school. of school so it's very comfortable and familiar and i also think that 
in general, probably something a lot of people struggle with. Like if you don't have those like letters by your name or the degree or that like credential, it feels harder to step into what you're naturally good at. I think, you know, people naturally, it's like the appeal to authority. It's Mm -hmm. very legitimate thing is just people believe people or trust people more with yeah like credentials I look, I look back on like getting like getting raised and things and just like looking like at the future like it was never like go, not going to college well i never thought about that it was just yeah. like what you did mm-hmm. and i mean i didn't ask questions on anything for most of my life so i just never questioned like yeah you just go to college like yeah. you just like have to do that to be able to like live in live. this world yeah function <laughs> and uh it's not really the case nowadays yeah. for sure not although i wish I, I wish i had a college experience mm. Mm. i didn't have i can one. give you a summary it's not, well, <laughs> not, the, not the best well, there's like not the pros and cons to it yeah but like yeah the socials the social life of my 20s is very like low in terms of like meeting people and stuff yeah so like in that terms like i kind of wish i went to college mm. or had yeah. better years at college because i want to ask like you said you're going through this like huge stage through like your four years of like kind of figuring out who you were and like finally like asking those questions and figuring it out do you think being around so many different people and like so many different because you were in a sorority right yeah sure did like was. that help or did it hinder that you know it's development it's hard to say because I don't have any regrets and I think that like looking back on it I don't view it as a positive experience but it may have been a necessary experience if that makes sense I think that it was painful but I think that it definitely had a part in like how I live my life now in the way that it's it was so different for me because in high school like I was so accepted like mm-hmm. there was I had friends in every school and like I mean it was just we kind of had an accepted we were lucky our and town our, was the best I'm not gonna it, lie it was like, and I think a lot of it's it's weird with small towns it depends on the grade weirdly like or the this true. group of like three grades like in high school like all of our friends across what five high schools like we all were had, amazing like, a solid group of people yeah one that we'd all just intermingle with which yeah. was incredible and it was amazing like I honestly look back on high school with just the best yeah. most positive feelings like it I loved so high fun. school and not that we peaked in high school but our peak is coming but <laughs> the high school days <laughs> the high school no but I'm days. super grateful for where we grew up me too 100% but I know people younger than me and like a lot younger and you know that didn't have the same experience so it's, yeah. it's crazy with small towns and it kind of like it's kind of like a collection a collective consciousness thing i think like across our grades i just think it was people were having a good time and we were lucky and yeah yeah, and we all fed off of each other's like positive energy in that time and so i think it yeah it was i'm really grateful for that experience too and i think a lot of the time it's the opposite like people have a really hard time in high school and then they go to college and they're like yeah. best time best four years of life I'm like a worst of mine but it's okay but I I just think that it was just so different from what I was used to and I definitely think I was like trying to find my place and trying to fit in and in high school like I was very accepted for who I was and then in college I was like oh I 
I'm not going to be here. Like I definitely have to adjust to fit in. It's like and, there's the food chain and the hierarchy of whichever yeah. group. And- yeah. And I made like really good friends in my sorority, but I still think there, there was just this weird culture of like approval. And like, if you were in a certain like group of friends or I don't know, it just all like looking back on it, I look back on it. Like I just want to hug my <laughs> younger self and just be like, it's okay that you don't feel like fully accepted. Like that's part of your growth, but it's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's actually like very sad. Like a lot of people I talk to and, you know, a lot of these conversations center around our younger selves mm-hmm. and like the phrase of just like, I wish I could just hug them. Yeah. is like comes up so often. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of interesting. I'm just noticing that again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of why is that always coming the up? Common, the common, I guess, response and answer to mm-hmm. looking back at our younger selves. And even like working, because I work in pediatric mental health now at a hospital or behavioral health inpatient hospital or kids. And so, what ages do you see? Six to 18. Hmm. And so it's short term. Yeah, six. Um, Really young. We see really young kids too. But. I'm just trying to think of like a six-year-old mind of like trying to respond to. And a lot of the time, the younger kids that we get are kids who have been removed from the home. It's a lot of attachment, like trauma. Okay. Um, A lot of reactive attachment, which if people out there don't know what that is, reactive attachment is just, it, it's a an attachment disorder that basically just kind of results in like rejecting connection with adults because you didn't have secure connection with caregivers when you're really little. So it can cause a lot of like aggression and acting out behaviors and just hating kind of any authoritative figure or kind of, it's not even necessarily authoritative figure. It's just being people in general, okay. like adults, anyone that you tries to get close to, it's like you just reject closeness with people in general. And so most of the really young kids, that's what that's what it is as reactive attachment. So is that going into are they going into like foster care? Is mm-hmm. that kind of the path of yeah, group homes or foster care or yeah, definitely in custody of DCFS. And so I have like no like knowledge or like what that system is mm-hmm. like. And so like you don't mind talking about kind of like their process, like they get taken and like do you work with them? Like right off or do they go to a home first and like it gets. Yeah. So our, like our hospital is very short term. The kids are there from five, around five to 10 days usually. And so it's very like brief therapy is what we do. Like short term. Mm-hmm. It's more like crisis therapy. Oh, okay. So a lot of the kids, like the older kids, most of them are there for like suicidal ideation or after an attempt. Mm-hmm. And the younger kids are usually there for aggression or things um, or, you know, suicidal gestures. Like it can still come out really young with attachment issues. Yeah. And um, a lot of the kids just have severe trauma. And so they're there only for a couple of days. You know, when they're older kids, usually like the family is really involved. Well, sometimes like if the family is, you know, present and the kid is going home with the family, we send a lot of kids to residential treatment, um, which is like a long term facility. Okay. Like th- for anywhere from like three months to like years of living at a facility with other people like around their same age where they get 
kind of round the clock treatment. Um, but we do a lot of family therapy in that time, just dealing, we mostly deal with safety issues. So like really brief, and then they pick like one or two goals to work on. But the kids, and not all kids are in DCFS custody. Like a lot of kids go home with their families and a lot of them do have really supportive families that want to mm-hmm. be there. Um, but then the kids that are in DCFS custody, they come in and a lot of the times we do, um, we just do brief therapy with them. And then we kind of try to coordinate care after and we send them to like group homes and things like that. Do they receive any care in the group homes or is it kind of? Yeah. It, in and DCFS with the kids in their custody, they usually like that are in custody of the state. Usually they are the ones coordinating like therapy and things like that. A lot of the group homes, they do offer, um, therapy, but it is, it is hard. And especially knowing like what I know about brain development, I think it would benefit everybody to kind of learn just basic brain development in terms of decision-making and how you process information. Um, cause you know, I think we all kind of know like your brain is like fully developed at 25. Like yeah. you hear that cause people are like, don't drink till this yeah. or don't do this. Like your brain is fully developed at 25, but and I think you feel it. I don't know about you. When you turn 25, I think you kind of feel <laughs> the decision-making develop just a little more, but you know, I'm just out here winging it. I don't know. <laughs> You're just that. waiting. <laughs> You're waiting for that to kick in. You're just a little slow. <laughs> uh, it's going. It's going, yeah. <laughs> Trying the adulting thing. But. Yeah, you know, we all are. But it it is interesting knowing about that because, um, like, really young kids, a lot of it is mirroring. Like, they mirror their caregivers. That's why it takes so long to – that's why a big – like a lot of what we're healing from forever is your child. <laughs> and even yeah. if you didn't have like big T traumas, like abuse, neglect, like parental trauma, things like that, like micro trauma, things like bullying, things like having even negative interactions with your parents, like those things still affect you. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you don't consider them like trauma and, and, you know, I think a lot of trauma is kind of a big word people are throwing out there right now. Like everything's trauma. And I, I don't think that's necessarily true, but I think it's still good to be aware of like, why am I the way that I am? And yeah. that's kind of the basis of like psychodynamic therapy. It's like getting to the root of like, where did this pattern start for me? Yeah. And how can I like work to choose differently in my adult life? But it is really interesting because like when you're younger, you're like mirroring and reflecting. It's like your your brain is at that stage where you're just kind of like you learn from the people around you, yeah, right? Yeah, you're just and a sponge. You're just soaking it all You're in. soaking it all in, yeah. And then you kind of go through the phase of like you're more impulsive. Like, you know, as a teenager, you're more impulsive and you're more like you're focused on yourself. Like you don't have a lot of perspective. And, and it feels so real as a teenager. Like we all remember being teenagers and just feeling like, no one understands me. Mm-hmm. And there's a, I mean, very at a base level, biological reason for that. Like you just don't have the same ability to have perspective and to conceptualize problems and to problem solve. It's like your emotions are fully formed when you're very young, your emotions are fully formed and your ability to conceptualize and problem solve those emotions or regulate those emotions is very limited just in yeah. terms of brain development. So 
it's just well yeah not knowing the tools and the complexities of like how to go about this stuff yeah like things i find out now about myself it's like 14 year old me wouldn't have grasped how to like sit with myself Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a big one would you say sorry one question yeah i'm kind of just curious about so when these kids start to just focus on themselves, is that mm-hmm. kind of like a response of just being stuck in a, like a fight response from being neglected? Like they're in like a survival mode? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Okay. Like some, yeah, I think a lot of the time it can be that, but also it's just part of normal teenage development mm-hmm. just to like think about themselves first. And sense. I think it actually, like when you know like more about brain development and just in general, like, kind of psychology, I think it helps you be a lot more compassionate to like yourself, to kids. Like if you're a parent, if you have kids, I think it's just good for people to know and to understand about themselves because like I look back and I'm like, why was I so, I don't know, why was I so this way or that way? And I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I was doing the best I could. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's just good for us to have that perspective Mm -hmm. with it because you truly are like you're doing the best you can with what you have and and that's why people you know people say teenagers are very emotional well yeah your emotions are as fully formed as they're ever going to get like they're as big as they're ever going to get and you just Mm -hmm. don't have the same ability to problem solve and so i guess where do you stand i guess dealing with a lot of these kids like the con the conversation of like nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. is probably talked about yeah through school i'm assuming a lot mm-hmm. you probably get to see firsthand a lot of it's how they're nurtured yeah absolutely i mean nature's definitely it's there there yeah nature's absolutely one like other. genetics yeah. are very strong and you know even like you could do everything even right as a parent or not that there's a right or wrong at all but you could on paper you could do better than most than yeah and still still you know struggle like genetics yeah. do have a very strong component but at the same time i do think nurture is huge and also i mean you can have genetics that don't get expressed because you never had kind of a traumatic experience to activate them so you could have those like dormant genetics or yeah. predispositions to mental illness or things that are you know, difficult to deal with that just never get expressed in your lifetime. So there's also that, but I definitely think, and working at the hospital too, like this, you know, this isn't my end goal working here, but it's such a good way to learn so much about like just human behavior and even just families and Mm -hmm. the way like families operate and like what's healthy and unhealthy ways of coping and like maladaptive ways of coping it's such a good way to learn it in such a short amount of time like it's been such good experience because it's just like it's people in crisis you learn a lot about human behavior when you're dealing with people in crisis Mm -hmm. all the time and I've learned a lot like I give people my spiel I'm like I don't have kids yet but I just seeing like in family dynamics what kind of works and what tends to seem like it doesn't work as well. I think like as human beings, like early on, I think we need like structure. I think that a lot of the time, like one of the biggest things that I see is like kids that don't have structure, they don't have 
I don't even want to say rules, but they don't have like responsibilities. They don't have things like that. It, it's just really hard for them to ever accept limits and like life will give you like natural consequences. Yeah. I think now I'm a big believer in like natural consequences just in general. So, so I also, can you like expound on? Yeah. So like natural, instead of like punitive measures, like punishing your kids or even yourself. I mean, we use punitive measures on ourselves all the time as like adults. Right. But, um, I think natural consequences is really just like in the real world, what would be a natural consequence of like not cleaning your room? <laughs> like okay. you live in a dirty environment and that affects your mental health. Like what's well, a natural yeah. consequence of like not, I don't know, paying your car insurance. Like you get a ticket. Like what's a natural consequence okay. of like not taking care of your diet. Like you have poor health. Like those are natural consequences. And I think so it's- So they never learn the basic principle. Like if you do or don't do this, like- a bad outcome will occur. They yeah. Get taught that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's important for kids to know like natural consequences and have that like follow through a little bit because it just builds resilience. Like I think that's one thing that like this generation underneath us like has a lot of and at the same time struggles with is resilience. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of stuck in the middle somewhere because like when I look kind of everyone we grew up with like me and all my friends we had like we were mowing lawns or like moving mm-hmm. sprinkler yeah in the summertime <laughs> yep and like doing like physical stuff but then we're also at an age where like everybody's like rich and famous on social media and you're like yep. why am i not yeah rich and famous? Oh and we're like we're stuck right there between the two ages of like you gotta go to college and like work hard and like make money that way mm-hmm but then like all of our peers and then everyone younger than us are like so much what they seem to be well, like farther in advance in life yes. and skills. And it's just like, what the hell do I <laughs> Like, do? what am I doing? <laughs> Why can I not make money on TikTok from my couch? Yeah. <laughs> like six figures. I know it's, it's crazy, but it is just like a different, it is a completely different world, honestly. And it is crazy to have insight into that. And go ahead. Do you have a question? No, I keep going. Oh, it's just crazy because it is just different types of skill sets. And I think it is, we do kind of have like a mental health crisis, honestly, with our like Youth. younger generation. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to ask that with, and this is, well, yeah, it's a darker topic, but you said you deal with a lot of like teenagers with like suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have like remember numbers or statistics from kind of this demographic, mm-hmm. but are the ages becoming lower? Yeah, definitely. And there, I mean, there's just so much exposure. Yeah. And like people are exposed to a lot more. And like, I would say like 99% of the kids that come to the hospital, like technology is a big issue, like a big trigger point for them, a huge issue. Like full, full like addicted, like don't want to go with their phone. Yes. Type. And just like really dangerous things happening on the phone like access to people they shouldn't have access to Mm. older people access to like just access to a lot of things that aren't healthy for developing minds I would say aren't healthy for anybody I mean I think even adults like I think we grew up and we got social media in high high school I remember like I remember downloading Instagram in your kitchen with (laughs) same actually uh with mcneil yeah oh, i know yeah but that like 
that was freshman year yeah yeah and the first instagram like it came out and we were even young but we didn't use it the way that it's used now like we took pictures of our lunch and that was the extent of it but even like we had to struggle with yeah, yeah. like developing and facing like kind of addiction to phones and even yeah. back then and i think it's a lot worse now oh i would say it's like exponentially worse like just talking with uh kaylee jake's wife she's yeah. a teacher now and she's like in schools and like stories from her and other ones i hear from teachers like asking students to put their phone away like it's not gonna happen like the respect kids have for teachers is like non-existent yeah like everyone and then when they're like asked like what they want to be when they grow up they're like oh i'll just be an entrepreneur and i'll just like start a business and they're like well how are you gonna do that and they there's like this disconnect between mm-hmm. everyone being rich and famous mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem that hard. Like all these high school kids are just stuck watching all these people. Yeah. It's like, what's going to ha- like, what's this next generation going to be into college? Yeah. And what I'm curious about. And there's such like a, I honestly just think that like, I would say a theme in my life right now. And I feel like in my work as a therapist Because I work at the hospital, but I'm also doing like outpatient and taking on like adult clients and things like that. And that's eventually what I want to do is private practice Mm -hmm. and working with adults, families, couples, things like that. Um, And I lost my train of thought. What were you saying? You take clients outside. And you want to transition. ADHD. I have it bad. It's okay. Uh, Um. I'm just saying I had a point. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. I remember I came back to it. Um, I think just balance and neutrality is like such a powerful concept that I think we've kind of lost touch with Mm -hmm. just in general. And it's something that I'm working on really strongly because I feel I feel a responsibility to work on myself first and foremost. Like my belief in general is that like when you show up when you like become the person that you're meant to be, like you're going to be better off for everybody around you. Like, yeah, you've got to work out all your shit. So you're not a shitty person. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you'll never, I don't think fully work through all your shit. Like we're always of course not doing that. But at the same time, I think awareness is the biggest thing. Like mm-hmm. we all have bad qualities and we all have like you know people call like toxic traits now we all have like toxic traits that are not not the best honestly and i think being like radically honest with yourself is really important and being able to take accountability for yourself is really important because like even so i have adhd and a big part of adhd is like shame spiraling like Mm -hmm. just feeling really like low self-worth people don't really know that that's kind of part of ADHD Mm -hmm. but just because you're not like you're not neurotypical you don't do things the same way other people do them so it causes a lot of issues with just self-worth and so I know when I'm in that like space of feeling lower self-worth I know that I don't treat people as well as I want to and it's something that or I like project that onto other people it's something that I never want to not acknowledge when it's happening and i think it's really empowering being able to say like this is a really kind of shitty thing about myself and i'm not just going to use that as an excuse 
I'm going to acknowledge it, like take accountability for it and actively work on it. Like what state steps am I taking? Like I had a professor in college who always says like, how are you moving the needle in your everyday life? And he was talking about peace. Like how are you moving the peace needle, like mm-hmm. the meter of peace? And I would say like thinking about that question, I think about that question every day. Like how am I think, how am I moving the needle in my own life of like my own development? And then how am I like doing that in my home? Like how am I moving the needle in my home to like yeah. help the people around me and in my job and like I think just focusing on that is really important because we have kind of well, it's hard to take accountability. I don't say we have an accountability problem. It's just really hard to do. Yeah, and like you never wanna like you know, accept that you might be the problem in certain situations. Yeah. Like no, it's that's a hard like pull a swallow yeah um but yeah like we all have them and we all have to like work through them sooner the better yeah like i would ask like how would you maybe i don't know if explain this concept to like a younger kid or just to someone like how would you start to like look inward to kind of pick yourself apart yeah to find some some of those things well i think i would talk a lot about the difference between guilt and shame because Guilt says, I did something that I need to take accountability for and make amends for. And shame says, I did something, so I'm bad and I'm wrong. And I think being able to separate that really young is important because kids naturally, they just, like, they're self-referential. They, like I said, like, they don't have a lot of perspective. So they turn everything inwards. Mm-hmm. It's like when p- parents get divorced and kids are like, it's my fault. Like, that's a normal kind of thing for kids because they just kind of put everything on themselves. And so like teaching kids about the difference between like, yes, you did something that you maybe need to make amends for or that wasn't like the healthiest way of dealing with that, but the isolating the thing from like who you are, like this is who you are and these are your strengths and this is something that you did. Like people are imperfect and let's say sorry and you know, you'll feel better for making amends and I think a lot of us learn that a lot later in life. Like now I'm the first one to admit when I'm the problem because I think it's actually very freeing to admit that you're the problem. Like we don't mm-hmm. want to do it initially, but I think when you're in the habit of it or the practice, it's like very, very freeing and empowering to be like, oh yeah, I'm totally the problem. And now that I'm not running from it, like, cause I'm the problem either way. So yeah. it's like, I can run from it or I can be like, oh yeah, that actually feels good to be like, I can do something about that though. Yeah, and it definitely helps like your understanding and like going through life when when situations are like perplexing your mind and like making you anxious or depressed and like you don't really know what the hell's going on and then like you kind of have these breakthroughs. It's like, oh, that's my tendency. It's mm-hmm. not theirs. Yeah. Like to break through to those is like always hard and like I don't, I don't know how to like tell someone how to like, find those or start those processes I guess yeah just like building self-awareness I think I mean I think one question that I ask clients a lot is like what's your part in that like what part do you play or what role do you play in that and when they share an experience that was upsetting yeah and I mean this is totally an AA thing too because I have family members that are in like recovery Mm -hmm. and I've learned a lot from them um Actually, even the like AA serenity prayer that people use, I think is is really 
it's just a powerful sentiment, like whether you're religious or not or whatever. It, I think it's a cool prayer, like grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really powerful. And there's an AA saying like, clean up your side of the street. Like that's what they say. Like you clean up the damage that you've done and that's what you're accountable for. Like you're not accountable for other yeah. people's stuff. And so like I tell my clients that all the time, but I think also like you have to be, people have to be told those things and like the safety of a relationship, like any kind of relationship, like a therapeutic relationship, a friendship, romantic relationship. Like if some stranger were going to come up to you and be like, what's your part in that? You'd be like, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. But um, if you're doing it within the safety of a relationship, like, and I think safety is a big thing. Like we all, I think at the core of all of our issues, like it's feeling like unsafe, unloved and unworthy. It's like at the core of everything. And like, at least if I think of any one of my issues or any one of my clients issues, like I can come up with one of those three things. And I think it's just like, it's, valuable to create safety in your relationship with yourself too. Like, I mean, a big part of my master's program of like learning to be a therapist wasn't like you use this clinical skill at this time and you, you say this thing, like that was hardly any of it. Yeah. It was mostly how do you create a safe container for this person to share with you? And like, how can mm-hmm. you be a safe person for this other person? So I guess for people that have maybe kids or siblings or someone in this pediatric range that you work with, or I guess just people in their life that I guess what are some signs that maybe they could be aware of to just kind of make the peace meter in their home a little bit better or kind of what are things that they can help the people around them? Yeah. And I would say that's so individual, honestly, because people respond to different things and like we do safety planning at the hospital. And like a lot of people say that like, People are up and down about like if safety planning works because you have to use it. Like it's as with anything in life, like trial and error. You, yeah. And you have to like in order for a coping skill to work, you have to use it. In order for like trial a by plan, fire. yeah. Like, not, you're not gonna know it's gonna work until <laughs> until you do it. Yeah. yeah. So but I would say like asking questions. Like it's not even so much about an action. Mm-hmm. I think it's asking questions like in your relationships. Like first, I think doing it with yourself, like as a parent, as a just a person like asking yourself like when do I feel safe when do I feel heard when do I feel loved how can I do those things for myself and then how can I ask for those things from other people and it's like if you have kids too I think it's really powerful to have those conversations because I think you know sometimes we assume what people need or we really want to fix things for other people like that's been the hardest thing about being a therapist is like I was always a fixer. Like I loved just, I wanted to give people answers and even still I struggle with it. Um, but just knowing that like, you don't have to have the answers for people and sometimes you just need to be there and just show up. And that's the most important thing. But I think asking the questions, like I would say asking, like, when do you feel safest with me? Or like when, when you feel stressed, when you feel upset, what truly helps you? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people aren't going to know the answers to those questions, especially kids or teenagers, even some adults we don't know until we've taken the time to like be introspective about that. But I think that that's a really 
powerful thing I've learned being a therapist is like the power of questions, like the value in asking questions instead of assuming like this is the skill that I need to make my home safe or this is what I need to do. It's like, well, how can I, you know, ask the people around me like what they need Mm -hmm. and then work to do more of that for them? Because we all have such individual needs and different things make different people feel safe just based on your experiences and yeah and even like the understanding of words is so individualized between like i've learned like my sense of or my definition of like quality time is different than other people's differences of quality time so just like there's so many basic words that are used in relationships from a business setting to an intimate setting that yeah are worth going over the mundane of like, well, what does this mean to you? Like, yeah. what, what does quality time mean to you? Yeah. In what do you like, think it means to you? My quality time? Yeah. Um, Like undivided. Mm, yeah. Like I don't, <laughs> is this going to turn into my therapy session? <laughs> therapy session? How did I make my you last, feel? My last <laughs> guest, Tanner, the one I posted yesterday, he uh-huh. gave me a lot of shit about this, that I started a podcast instead of going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked you about your second half of the third session with you. Sorry, I'm deflecting. (laughs) Self-awareness. So what does quality time mean to me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess mine would just be like the effort and then like the undivided attention. Like I don't want just to do everything with someone 24-7 and just like call that quality time. Like... Mm -hmm. I love my alone time more than anything. And so like I need that. And then I've never really been in a situation for a while where I've had to like try and compromise like time spent with mm-hmm. someone to like find that common ground of like what's quality time. Yeah. Is it a set number of hours? Like I don't think so. Like I wouldn't be like you get an hour a day <laughs> <laughs> in a relationship. But I think it's just like the – the principle of just being here and now mm-hmm. always that's something i've been gripping onto for the last year and a half like pretty heavily just something i'm not good at it like always just be here and now mm-hmm. like being present in your life is probably going to be i shouldn't be uh pushing out to other people for me it's how i can live like the most meaningful life is just being here and now mm-hmm. no matter situation i think that is true for everybody though that's my belief that's awesome yeah. but so it's so not I'm even right is what yeah so at. you're right <laughs> 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 that's the lesson so it's not even time it's just presence that you value then yeah and like it's pretty much it yeah everything else that and i think that's that's something i learned because quality time is not my love language like mm-hmm. not at all this is the last on my list like i could spend like five minutes with someone and then be like you're my best friend bye i'll see you in a year and you know that's like not my love language well maybe i use it as a crutch Mm. to be like i spend a lot of time doing hobbies so like this short amount of time outside of that i hold like very high on my list yeah yeah but obviously someone else isn't gonna look at that the same way so maybe i use it as a crutch no to some instances but like i i've talked about this with uh jake about i guess like quality time and friends like the mm-hmm. best friends in my life are people i see once a year maybe. yeah yeah 
but the strength of those friendships have never diminished. Yeah. Based on the fact I don't see them very often. Yeah. Exhibit A. Exhibit A. Here, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think you also just, I don't think it's a crutch. I think it sounds more like you know, like you know what works for you and you know how you get like your cups filled. Like we have different areas of our life that we uh-huh. need fulfillment in, like yeah. personal development, spirituality, like financial health, physical health. There's a lot of things. Social. Of, yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's good to have an awareness of like, what do I need to get those areas of my life in order, mm-hmm. kind of. So I have a question about attachment styles. Yeah. So I've been diving that into that recently for the last month. Um, just learning myself and how I deal with those relationships and like obviously want to kind of work to be a secure partner. Yeah. Um, but anyway, with these kids you're seeing come through this age group, what do you see primarily between, you know, I assume it's either anxious or avoidant. Always. <laughs> probably, I would say probably no secure presumptuous to say, but pretty much. Yeah. Always avoidant or or anxious or anxious avoidant, uh-huh. the combination. And so how does that kind of, like how are they kind of guided through those and yeah. away from them? Because I think it's a pretty common. For sure. And I think because like we're a short-term facility, we don't really touch on that. Okay, yeah. But I've touched on that in outpatient a lot with mm-hmm. people. Um. And also definitely trying to keep that in check in my own life. I have a very anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really come out until I was like with my fiance because I never put myself in a position for that to be exposed, kind of. Like I I kind of kept, kept, kept. (laughs) Can I speak English? I don't know. Um, I think I kind of kept myself safe in that way of like if I choose people where I know like the power dynamics going to be skewed to where like I kind of have more leverage in the relationship or mm-hmm. you know I, I think that like a true partner I hate using that word even but like a true like partner in life a person that like is good for you is going to like push all your buttons and in that way just like expose like you feel kind of like an exposed nerve sometimes and they're the people that like expose the things in you that you like want and need to heal then they also like hold space for you to heal it too Mm -hmm. so it's like they're not just leaving you there hanging and then you're just like i feel like shit and everything (laughs) is coming up all my traumas but it's like they kind of open that door because vulnerability brings that out in all of us and like attachment I mean, vulnerability definitely brings out our attachment so like issues. Like they pull the weeds out, but they also like help pull like that like hurt. Replant but then they new re- seeds. Help replant. They don't just come around, stomp through, yeah, kill everything, <laughs> just leave you there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leave you there to deal with it all. Uh, exactly, and and so like because I had a, a period of time where I was single, so I kind of was going through like. I went to all these healers and all these like tarot card readers and I was always looking for those answers outside of myself. And weirdly, I never thought to go to traditional talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so have, has your stance on those types like transitioned since you become a therapist? Honestly, I still think they hold so much value, uh-huh. but I think 
And like I said, with the whole college thing in general, like I look back on those things with such love because I know that I was searching and I was trying to open a door into like my own development. So I don't regret those things at all. I definitely use them differently now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's value. Anything you're drawn to, I think has value, will have value for you. I think if you're drawn to it, try it out, go for it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Ultimately, if if it has a positive effect on your life regardless of what it is yeah but yeah yeah but i think that i definitely was using them at least too often or in a way that wasn't necessarily the healthiest at least not in a way that i would use them now because i was searching for like a okay let's heal this thing what is it like i want like immediate like i'm going to this energy healer so like i'm not going to have these same attachment wounds come up because Mm -hmm. this energy healer took my attachment wounds away from me i'm like what's my fortune looking like yeah like i want to know like am i am i gonna be good yeah you know and so i think i was just using them differently and like now if i were to go to an energy healer i just think i would be more realistic and i would go assuming that i'm already whole and those things can only like enhance that or uncover something else for me to work on but it, like ultimately it's in my hands yeah. yeah and talk therapy isn't either i mean i think like i have a very humanistic style of therapy which basically just means that like i assume that everybody coming to me is already whole like they have everything they need to heal and be okay and take care of themselves and so i'm just kind of there to reflect uh-huh. back to them and so does that mean kind of like everyone's experienced things that they can draw the lessons they need from and they just need help kind of getting there? Yeah. Just like help kind of. Like when you believe everyone's whole and they're coming to you and you said that, you know, they have everything they need, mm-hmm. but they just kind of need to help, help organize navigate. it. <laughs> yeah. Especially I can't even imagine how young, like, you know, these kids are. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's just very strengths based. Uh Like, I think really like it's like positive psychology, really strengths based. I really like that approach because I just think sometimes we focus too much on the problem and not enough on like what is already right with you and what do you already do well? And how have your, like maybe even your maladaptive coping skills, how have those protected you? And that's really smart of you to do that, even though it's ultimately was harmful for you. Like that's the skills you had at the time. Um, and I have a very like addiction based framework because I think addiction, like people do kind of protect themselves with addiction for a long time. Like I think even my brother, like I might get emotional talking about him. He's one of my favorite people on earth. He's been in recovery for a while. And like, if he wasn't using substances, I don't know that he would still be here. Like he was protecting himself it was a way that he was surviving like he was self-medicating to survive and it didn't work long term yeah yeah but like i think we just have to understand that like people are doing the best they can and they have these inherent strengths and we can just channel those differently and they might just need like help to channel those things differently but going back to my journey with talk therapy so i was trying all these things and then I was like, you know what, why don't I just actually maybe just go to therapy? And so I did and my therapist created a very like safe container and this is when I was in school to be a therapist and um, I started talking about attachment and 
I think the best thing that I could have done was get some practical like mental health tools because I really do believe in energy work and I believe in like subconscious work. I think subconscious work is huge. Like I'm getting trained in hypnotherapy because Mm -hmm. I think it's like some of the most life-changing things for me have been like meditation and hypnotherapy and But at the same time, like you can't be in a constant state of meditation. You can't be in a room getting energy work 24 hours a day. You can't be like you need practical skills to help you survive moment to moment and thrive moment to moment, like get out of survival mode. And so I think with attachment, that's one of those things that you need like resilience skills and like distress tolerance skills to be able to use daily when that attachment wound comes up and those things are triggered because they will get triggered. When you're in healthy relationships, those things will come up 100% of the time. <laughs> it's just a just a fun part about attachment styles. What do you think your attachment style is, you know? Um, avoidant? Mm, I could have guessed that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I kind of knew before I asked yep, you. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm working on it. All right, I'm trying. No, uh, oh, we all we all are. It's okay. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to get out of it. Um, we'll see how it goes. What do you think? I mean, to get personal on you, what do you think has been like the biggest challenge? Like. You don't have to be specific or say names. Like, walk me through a scenario <laughs> where, like, <laughs> that happens and you're like, I want to run or I want to be – I want to get far away from this right now. Um, I think it's when I start to feel my freedom get hindered or, like, my peace. Like, I, I think I lean on a little bit of, like, an unhealthy attachment to my, like – routine and like my life like I hate sacrificing certain parts of my day for anyone else mm-hmm. your routine Sounds is terrible. a shield but like yeah when that starts to get creeped in on or when I start to feel like I can't really put the time and effort into work or well, yeah, cycling's work now. So mm-hmm. it's like when those things start to get pushed, I'm like, all right, this needs to take a step back <laughs> or two. Actually, to... there's a door. <laughs> <laughs> I need a ghost a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no ghosting. No, but yeah, I mean that's like very textbook definition, like yeah. very textbook definition know, of very... like avoidant. And I would, I, I wish, since I know that, I could just fix it. Oh, no. I honestly think attachment is one of the hardest, this is the hardest things to navigate because it's so present. And I mean, we're like very social creatures. We're with, yeah. ar- with and around and in relationships with people all the time. Yeah. And then Our it's like lives. difficult, like looking at it, like a lot of this kind of won't be. I don't know what the right, right word is. Uh, like drawn out of me, or just a lot of these lessons I won't learn unless I really put myself in a relationship and like be that vulnerable. Like, but then in the dating culture, you go on like one or two dates, and then like you both have like a busy week, and then you're just like never going to see each other. Or, like, yeah, 
yeah, the dating world's just a whole other conversation. So like as much as I read about attachment and like kind of know the things I need to change, like none of that's going to be put into practice until it's there. And then yeah. that's a whole conversation. Like, do I want to start dating right now? It's yeah. like, well, work's going this way and that way. And yeah. Well, relational wounds are healed in relationships. Yeah. That's the hard I thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard. It's not fun, but and I think like, cause I have more like, um, I mean, personal experience with anxious attachment style cause that's mine. Mm-hmm. But some of the best advice I heard for anxious attachment style is like, don't jump to conclusions. Like you don't have enough information yet. And that was so helpful because like anxious, anxious, anxious attachment is just like you go straight to conclusions. Like something happens and you're like, oh yeah, this person is going to walk out the door in two seconds and I'm never going to see him again. Yeah. Even if you've been together, you know, you're just like constant. Yeah. So I guess that was a realization I've had this year as well. Pre- like during the large relationship you, that you know of mine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I was hor- a horribly anxious and avoidant attached. Like mm-hmm. both. Was not, was not a great person during that time. Um, yeah. So I'll show you like hug that younger self that, hey. Yeah. Pull your head okay. out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Be better. Be better. Um, so we've kind of gotten away from the anxious. Now we're mostly avoidant. You know, yeah. probably. You're working on it. You feel the one side. It. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, hey, maybe it's going to take another four years, but. It's probably going to take longer. Probably. <laughs> it's a freaking Yeah, that. I know. But it's not a bad thing, though. And I think like the right people you can have those conversations with. I always tell people, people ask me so much about relationships. Like, how do you build trust? How do you like do this? How do you like feel safe in a relationship? And I think like, number one, ask yourself, like, what do you want? Like, there's no right or wrong Mm -hmm. in a relationship. And like, like, are you actually in a spot where like the other person deserves you to be at? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's That's what I... When I get into like the little, I don't know if it's like shame spiral, but it's like, do I really want to put myself in a situation like that? Am I at a spot where someone else can place me in that part in their life? Yeah. Like, am I good enough to like hold that role? Yeah. And I think if you're thinking about that, it means that you are because you don't, you're never going to be perfect. You're Mm -hmm. never going to fill that role in the perfect way. Yeah. Like it's always a risk and Mm -hmm there's always a chance that you will get hurt or things will go wrong. Like that's just life. And I think sometimes that can be a way to avoid also. Like that's something that I realized is like before I met Cole, I had this like checklist of things and it was like, I didn't think I really gave anybody real a chance because I was like, well, I know where I'm at with myself and I need this person to be at this place with themselves. And I, in therapy, when it, my therapist was just kind of like, do you even want to date a real person or do you want to be with like a fake person that's yeah. not, you know? And I was like, damn, yeah, you got me, cat. Like, yeah, that's, I mean. You're not going to find someone like perfect, like you're not going to be perfect, but. And like we're, I mean, everyone's just, we're just real people. Yeah, like we all have our baggage. And I don't think you need to be like 100% healed to be deserving of yeah. a relationship. Yeah. And and I For think sure. if you're honest about those things, because like I still have an anxious attachment style, but I'm very mm-hmm. honest about it. And 
even say like, I think it's so helpful to be able to be like in a conflict or in something just to call something out. Like we're so used to our issues being like either unconscious or just like underneath the surface. And if you're like, Ooh, I really feel my avoidant attachment coming up right now. Like Mm -hmm. I am super bad wanting to run or just like cut you off. Like that's coming up for me. That's happening. And I just think the right people in your life will be like, let's talk about it. Yeah. It's okay. mm -hmm. Like, okay. Well, you're you're not going to, I'm not really going to let you do that. So, (laughs) and and that may be like, I think it's hard to give universe. Like people are going to come at me if I say that, because people will probably be like, no, you need to love yourself first and be healed and stuff. But I'm like, I don't know, man. I think there's something to be said about being willing to go through some shit with people. True. I mean, I think it's like a spectrum of things. Like, I, I think you should try to have your shit together. Yeah. Like trying to. For sure. Yeah. Um, you should be self aware about it. You'll and, never yeah. be at a place where it's like, you know, I'm never going to like finish a week of new practices. Like, you know, mental yeah. tools. Like, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to find a wife. <laughs> like this is not gonna. Yeah, this is not gonna happen. Yeah, and and I think that. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about like working on yourself and that like being conscious of those things. Like not using those things as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like oh well, this is my attachment style, so I'm just gonna be shitty, or this is my issue, or this is my trauma, so I'm just gonna do this thing. This is my sign, so I'm just <laughs> I'm just stuck like I'm, I'm a cancer, sorry, so. <laughs> So I'm just going to be emotionally manipulative. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> why can't us cancers can be sometimes? But um, oh but yeah, I mean, I think that's there's definitely something to be said about mm-hmm. like that being on that path and working towards that. But then, like I said, like relational issues are healed in relationships. Like yeah. there's also something to be said about being heard and understood and seen and like held emotionally by a person who like sees what you're going through and working through and your flaws and feeling like I like I feel so seen right now and just Mm -hmm. and loved like that is a feeling unlike any other and I also think you think you can be healed and then you get a relationship and yeah you need to like want the help and like acknowledge yeah the acceptance the radical acceptance factor yeah dealing a lot that, of personal problems. That's definitely like, have you heard of DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy? No. It's a kind of therapy. It's like really used with um, like teenagers a lot, but I'm I'm just like the biggest fan of it because I think it's so practical mm-hmm. and radical acceptance is one of the like components of it. And it's like riding the wave and there's something called like urge surfing. Like when you have like these triggers come up or these like urges to react in a really like impulsive way or whatever it's like riding the wave of your feelings like all about just like radical acceptance of the moment like mindfulness is a huge component of it Mm -hmm. and like presence and there's also one called the wise mind a concept in dbt that we have like our emotional and our rational mind and then we have our wise mind and our emotional mind tries to convince us that like our actions need to be driven by what we're feeling in the moment. And that's really inconsistent because if we always were making decisions based on our emotions, that would. Wouldn't be great. Wouldn't be great. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be great. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. But then people think that we need to be rational. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's also not even great because your rational mind is trying to override your emotional mind. And it's yeah. saying like, and that's where I am at a lot of time. It's like, that's not actually true. Yeah. And then it draws you to certain conclusions that aren't. Yeah. And valid. it is, it's kind of like invalidating your emotions. Mm-hmm. And we do that a lot, I think. And we kind of do that under the guise of, well, I'm being rational, I'm being logical, but that's also not really the best way to approach yeah, things you always. ignore your emotions when analyzing yeah. life. Yeah, and so then that's why we have like the middle, it's like walking the middle path is what we call it. Okay. Like your wise mind, like what what is a way to move forward that honors both your emotions and the rationality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And they all have their like strengths and weaknesses. But that has helped me like personally, my personal development more, more than anything, like going through school and learning all these clinical tools too. I'm like, I wish this is stuff that we all learned in school. Yeah, it should be taught. I mean, we would all be saved a lot of <laughs> heartache if we learned mm-hmm. just like practical mental health tools for day to day, um, just coping with life yeah. and hard things. But I think using your wise mind and kind of like, dropping into what would like a wise mentor of mine or like my higher self, like whatever people want to call it, whatever resonates with you the most, like what would they tell me in this situation right now? Like what is in my best and highest good and in the best and highest good for other people in this situation? And I think it's just a good way to honor both sides while still like accepting and feeling your emotion and then also understanding that like our emotions aren't always rational. All right. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end it. That <laughs> let's, was a great, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> Time got away from me. I don't even know how long that was, but I don't even know hour and 15, but no, I'm I think a that's talker. a good place <laughs> to end it. We can, yeah. Well, I can have another episode, maybe share some stories, some good ones. We have some, yeah, we have some good ones. Belize was, <laughs> Some of my favorite stories in my life. I like to t- like to tell her. Me too. Yeah, trip. Oh, same. <laughs> it was a great that time. That's a great time. Well, thank you so much for letting me come into your home and thank take you. your time. It's good to catch up. I know. It's so much fun. Obviously, I love to talk and you just gave me a chance to do it. So <laughs> anyway, we'll do another episode here in a month or two. Yeah, I love it. Right, Always well, up for it. Thank you again. Thanks. See you, everybody.